Since we began our sermon series on neighboring back in September, one of the questions we've been answering is, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? But what you may not know is this, in in Luke chapter 10, Jesus expands the neighborhood. He expands the community for who is my neighbor, which differed from how the Old Testament defined the word neighbor. You see, in the Old Testament Hebrew word for neighbor identified anyone who dwells or lives in proximity to you, like your next door neighbor. So in Luke chapter 10, when the expert in the Jewish law asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? That Pharisee was expecting Jesus to refer to those who dwell or live in proximity or close by, like other Jews, like his own kind. But rather, Jesus expands the boundaries for neighbor to include anyone who comes near you, anyone you encounter, anyone you meet, regardless of where they live and regardless of their ethnicity or culture. Maybe that's why the first syllable of our English word neighbor, nigh, means near, near. For that's exactly how Jesus' good Samaritan parable described a neighbor. Anyone you come near, anyone you encounter, anyone you meet, even if it's a destitute victim, as we saw in Luke chapter 10. Well, today, as we begin our study in the Old Testament for neighboring, even the book of Ruth, we'll see a foreshadowing of Jesus' New Testament definition of neighbor and neighboring. For one of the key characters did not dwell or live in proximity, nor were they of the same ethnicity or culture. And that character? Ruth. Ruth. So maybe our first job this morning should be to further identify who Ruth is. First of all, Ruth did not live in the neighborhood of Israel. Ruth was born and raised in the country of Moab, which was on the far side of the Dead Sea. On the far side of the Dead Sea, which for us today would feel like uh, hundreds of miles away. Yeah. And as a Moabite, uh, Israelites would have seen Ruth as a, a dog, a Gentile dog. And add to that, the the people of Moab had been enemies of Israel ever since God destroyed their center of hedonism and licentiousness, promiscuity. You remember those twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? They were in Moab. So as a Moabite, Ruth would not have been welcomed by the Jewish people. Thankfully, though, Ruth had a good neighbor, her mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi. Well, let's now introduce the setting, the story, and a few other characters from Ruth chapter 1, even verse 1. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, even just this opening sentence speaks volume to the spiritual condition of Israel at that time. See, at this point in Israel's history... They were being ruled by judges, and if you were to turn back one page in your Bible to the book of Judges, you'd read a pretty telltale closing verse. You know it. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what they thought was right and didn't line it up to the Word of God necessarily, which you and I today would describe as anarchy, right? Everybody doing what was right in their own eyes. 
which most likely explains God's judgment of famine on Israel at that time. Well, let's read all of verse 1. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. This man is Elimelech, and he chooses here to go off the reservation, doesn't he? This Jewish husband and father, like Lot, chooses to move his family to Moab, the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, because the famine had not yet affected that country. However, what I, however, what I don't hear is, of, of, of is a massive migration by Israelites to Moab. So there may have been some alternatives uh, to Elimelech's decision to move to Moab. Regardless, this Jewish family will dwell in the land of Moab for at least 10 years. And not surprising, it would be a very disheartening 10 plus years. Hear about that now from verse 2 and following. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husbands. Wow. Tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy. Now, we're not told the spiritual condition of Elimelech and his family, but more than once, we're told their roots were in Bethlehem. And in the weeks ahead here, but also in the centuries ahead back then, we're going to find that that's an important truth. But look back at verse 4. The two sons of Elimelech, Malon and Kilion, apparently had rejected God's law. How do I know that? As we learn that they were unequally yoked in marriage to Moabite women. Moabite women who most likely at one time worshipped idols. So not surprising, like Lot of old, Elimelech's search for greener pastures would lead to disappointment, even death. Uh, but then there's... They're sweet and submissive Naomi. For that's actually what her name means in the Hebrew, sweet and submissive. But now, in Moab, Naomi, surrounded by all this death, is left to pick up the broken pieces and the broken hearts that surround her. And as a Jewish widow with her two daughters-in-law, Naomi must now try to figure out how to survive in this forbidden foreign land. Which brings us to verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah, again from Moab. Now notice here, Naomi didn't just hear that there was food again in Israel. Naomi heard that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, had come to rescue his people, the Lord. Sound familiar? The Lord himself already sounding like the Good Samaritan coming to the aid, coming to the rescue. 
The Lord was being merciful and compassionate to his people by beginning to provide food for them again. By the way, it might be worth mentioning here that the name used for God in this verse, the Lord, in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh or Yehovah, which is the name God always used when making and keeping his covenants with Israel. The name is significant. So the Lord remembers Israel and begins to provide aid, rescue, a harvest. The Lord becomes a good neighbor, even a good Samaritan, if you will, to Israel and Naomi. And remember, it was the good Samaritan who responded, who responded like a good neighbor with mercy and compassion toward that beaten down traveler. Now, likewise, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord is now doing the same for both Jew and Gentile, for both Naomi and eventually Ruth. And in Naomi's time of desperate need, yes, she'll choose to move toward Israel, return to Israel, but more than that, more than that, what's really happening here, Naomi will choose to move toward and return to the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. But first, Naomi will grant Ruth and Orpah release. Naomi will give these young widows the option to return to their own families, their own people, the Moabites, and find new husbands, find new lives. Here, Naomi's offer to them in verse 8 and 9. Verse 8, then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me, says Naomi. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. First of all, don't miss that word kindness there. In the Hebrew, it's hesed, meaning merciful or full of mercy, having an enlarged heart for the hurting and doing something about it. But this would be just the first time Naomi offers Ruth and Orpah release to the families of their birth. However, both Ruth and Orpah refuse to part from Naomi. So a second time, Naomi offers them release, verses 9 to 13. Picking up at verse 9, May the Lord grant each of you that you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then Naomi kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, No, return home, my daughters. Why why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Naomi says, girls, girls, do the math. Do the math. I'd never have time to provide husbands for you again. That would require me, first of all, to remarry, then hopefully give birth to sons, and then you wait decades for those sons to grow up. But this second time, Orpah does choose to return to her own people in Moab. Verse 14. Verse 14. At this they wept aloud again, Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, Naomi, goodbye. Farewell. 
Yet a third time, Naomi encourages Ruth to depart, to remain in Moab. However, over the years, Ruth had seen something in Naomi that caused Ruth to literally hold fast and cling to Naomi. Verse 14 and 15. You know, at this, uh, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to Naomi. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Go back with her. But apparently for years, Naomi had been such a good neighbor to Ruth remaining near and dear to Ruth, showering Ruth with love and compassion that Ruth refuses to separate herself from Naomi. Verse 16, verse 16, where we read, but Ruth replied, don't don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Don't ask me to leave. Again, Apparently, Ruth had seen in her godly mother-in-law what the Apostle James will one day write about in his letter. James chapter 1, verse 27. The religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their time of distress. Isn't that what Naomi lived, demonstrated, exemplified, now prompting Ruth to cling to Naomi? Wasn't it Naomi's love for God that fuels Naomi's love for Ruth and Orpah, so impacting Ruth? Naomi loved the Lord her God with all her heart, soul, her mind, and her might so that she was able to love her neighbor as herself. And the rest of the book of Ruth and the rest of, the hist- rest of history will further reveal Naomi's love for God and, and for others as we make our way through this book. But back to Ruth. Back to Ruth. Ruth will now plead her case for a permanent relationship with Naomi, for lifelong neighboring with Naomi. Here now, Ruth expressed those poetic, uh, those poetic words often exchanged at weddings in holy matrimony. Verses 16 and 17, you've heard them before. Yes, Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death, uh, even if death separates you and me. Wow. Actually, what Ruth is requesting and promising Naomi is more than what Ruth had committed to her own deceased husband. Ruth here is choosing to be buried with Naomi, not her own husband. Ruth has obviously been extremely impacted by Naomi's godly, godly heart. And I'm convinced what, what Ruth expressed here in verses 16 and 17 is a commitment to lifelong neighboring that will cover every aspect of life, even death. Don't miss here Ruth's depth and degree of loving her neighbor, Naomi. Ruth says, where you go, Naomi, Even if it's back to Israel, where I could be scorned and shunned as a Moabite, I'm with you. Where you live and stay, Naomi, even if it means poverty, slavery, or hard labor, 
I'm with you. Regardless of who your people are, Naomi, whether they're nasty, crazy, or, or perverted, I'm with you. No matter who your God is, Naomi, I want to know him, serve him, and worship him. And where you die, die Naomi, even if it means another move or martyrdom, I die with you. Ruth even says, where you're buried, Naomi, I want my eternal rest to be with you as well. Wow. You see their mutual, how their mutual devotion as neighbors near and dear to one another moves from the temporal to the eternal, from wherever, whatever, whomever, whenever, to forever. Forever. Naomi and Ruth want to be with and for each other always, reminding me of the Lord's promise to his own loved ones that I will never, ever leave you nor forsake you, always available to you. And you know what all this says to me? Loving your neighbor can go long, and loving your neighbor can go deep. But what might be most important to note here is this. Ruth makes her commitment before the Lord and to the Lord. Look back at verse 17, it's loaded. Ruth acknowledges that her highest accountability will be not her Moabite gods, not even Naomi. Ruth acknowledges her highest accountability will be to the Lord, to the Lord. Ruth is also acknowledging that apart from the Lord's enabling, she's going to fall short of that commitment to Naomi. Again, here verse 17 one more time. Yes, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, says Ruth. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me, Naomi. Hmm. It's what one day the apostle John will confess when he says, apart from the Lord, I can do nothing. Ruth is saying something similar. I need you, Lord to fulfill this commitment. And again, I would submit Ruth is surrendering herself to the Lord because she has witnessed for years Naomi surrendering herself to the Lord. <laughs> Talk about being salt and light to someone else, huh? Naomi has been all of that and more to Ruth. Naomi has been such a bright light before Ruth that now Ruth is ready to praise the Father in heaven. So together now, Naomi and Ruth depart for Bethlehem, verses 18 and 19. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women of Bethlehem exclaimed, can, can this be Naomi? Is this Naomi? Apparently, the women of Bethlehem are quite sure who Naomi is. They have trouble recognizing an, a, a now aged and worn out and worn down Naomi from years ago. Yet some may have even lived on her street. Some may have grown up with Naomi. Some may have even attended Naomi's wedding. But for sure, the years and tears of tragedy had taken such a toll on Naomi that at first glance, these longtime residents of Bethlehem weren't quite sure who Naomi was, let alone the foreigner who was tagging along with her. But as Naomi enters Bethlehem and memories begin to flood her heart, Naomi does identify herself to these gawkers. Verses 20 and 21. 
Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, sweet and submissive. Call me Mara, bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And maybe like the destitute prodigal son, when he returned home from a foreign land, Naomi warns her forgotten friends and family, don't make the mistake I made. Make sure you follow the Lord's lead and remain in his will. But now with Naomi following the Lord and his lead, hope springs eternal. Look at verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Just beginning. This verse is loaded as well. There's plenty to glean here. There's now bounty in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, whose Hebrew name means house of bread. And that's just the beginning. Isn't that the word in 22? It's springtime. The, the pods are bursting. The Lord's mercies are new. His faithfulness is great. Things are beginning to go from bitter to better. Oh, Naomi and Ruth could have remained bitter. Naomi and Ruth could have remained in Moab. But no, Naomi re remembers her spiritual roots. Maybe better stated, Naomi remembers her covenant-keeping God, the Lord, who also promised to be a husband to the husbandless. And in the weeks to follow, even the chapters to follow, we'll learn that neighboring even has its rewards. But maybe let me conclude by showing you how biblical neighboring for Naomi and Ruth has turned their mourning into dancing. See, over the many years, Ruth was a part of Naomi's household, wasn't she? Naomi had shown Ruth a kindness, a compassion, a neighboring that translated into physical, emotional, and spiritual care. So much so that Ruth now chooses Naomi over her own parents, her own siblings, her own family back in Moab. And how did Ruth show that kindness, compassion, neighboring to Naomi? Remember how Naomi, was, uh, Naomi described Ruth in verse 8? As filled with kindness and compassion. And remember Ruth's commitment to Naomi from verses 16 and 17? Your people will be my people. Your place will be my place. Where you live, I will live. Your God will be my God. Where you're buried, I'll be buried. Mutual neighboring one to another. But finally, don't miss the Lord's neighboring and compassion toward Naomi and Ruth and even Israel. Verse 6, back to verse 6 for just a moment. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return. The Lord had relented. The Lord ended the famine and in his mercy makes sure that Naomi hears that good news. You know, but I think the Lord was even more compassionate and merciful than even that. Remember the opening lines from Ruth chapter 1? If you know your Old Testament history, they may sound familiar. It sounds like a repeat performance of what Lot and his family chose to do centuries earlier, when Lot and his family chose to separate and leave their homeland and relocate in Moab, Sodom, and Gomorrah. And they too come to ruin. And they too lose loved ones. And here it is again with Elimelech and 
Naomi. Yet, yet, the Lord God, Jehovah, the unconditional covenant-keeping God, neighbors to his people, a neighbor to his people, affords Naomi undeserved rescue. And the Naomi heard the Lord. So folks, don't miss, don't miss this. Biblical neighboring is not a one-time or even a one-year event. Biblical neighboring can be for the long haul. Biblical neighboring can be a long-term uh, commitment, a long-term relationship resulting in lifelong unconditional love. But our biblical neighboring should not even end there. Hopefully the end goal of any biblical neighboring would result in someone having a long-term everlasting relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, who demonstrated his own love for us by laying, laying down his life for us at the cross. And by our simple yet sincere faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we receive his forever forgiveness, his provision, his abundant life. So please understand, biblical neighboring is not a sprint. Biblical neighboring is not drive-through. Biblical neighboring is not for the faint-hearted, even as Jesus neighbored us. Biblical neighboring goes the distance no matter how far and how long it takes. And personally, I am, I am thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ never gave up on me, never stopped neighboring me, even from a distance I created. And although I too went off the reservation, I too went to places of loss and ruin, Thankfully, the Lord Jesus Christ eventually drew me back, led me home where I belong. Lord Jesus Christ called me back to the center of his will, where I too found his unconditional love, provision, and abundant life. And that was just the beginning, the beginning. And thankfully, the Lord Jesus Christ to this day is still in the business of long-term, long-distance neighboring, even if you've gone astray, wandered off, going your own way, and distance yourselves from him. And so likewise, should we not also be willing to do the same kind of neighboring for others, no matter how far, how long it takes, no matter how long, how far someone has gone astray and wandered off? I end with this. This past September, I attended the funeral of uh, the wife of a lifelong friend, I've known him for well over 60 years, and for the last 40 years, my wife and I had been trying to be salt and light, share the good news of Jesus when we could and when we can. And, um, and while I'm at that funeral, back in September, I learned that from a distance, the Lord rescued Jim and his wife, and um, they are now uh, both headed for heaven. And um, that's an example of long-distance neighboring even when you can't have access to them as well. Thank, thankfully, the Lord Jesus Christ in it, is in it for the long haul. Are we as well? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son of God, and Holy Spirit, as we come to this table, we will be reminded of that long and hard road you took, and we're willing to come to a cross and, and, and not only bear it all, but bear our sin and you showed how much you loved us, were merciful and compassionate toward us, even as you took on our sin at the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being 
the perfect neighbor for us. And we pray that as we come to this table in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Gentlemen, please come. Thank you.